Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Joko. Matt is here. We have a wild Baku to recap, plus a bunch of news, fan questions. We shall see. Just a quick recap. The top five, Sergio Perez gets the win. Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly round out the podium. Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris round out the top five. I think this race... We can call Defy Pirelli because they had a bad weekend. And Matt, where do you, where do you want to start? I, I, there's there's a lot going on here, and I don't know where to start. Well, first of all, congrats to Checo. That was a pretty awesome win. You know, obviously Verstappen had his tire failure, but Perez was there all day and hanging right with him and, and did the undercut on Hamilton, which was pretty brilliant. So credit to him. I mean, I know Verstappen crashed, but – He's still right there all day and showed he can keep up with him. So that was good. So, uh, yeah, I guess you kind of have to stand. And also, Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly did really well to get on the podium. But I think you have to start with the, yeah, the, the Pirellis and Joster Stappen chiming in on Twitter saying, you know, when Pirelli said that debris caused the tires to fail. And Joster Stappen said, well, that's a typical excuse. And I'm curious to see how they came to that conclusion because I know they're shipping the tires to Milan to investigate them at the factory. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm calling BS on that, if I'm being honest. I think there is some, some sort of issue that is a little deeper, and I hope we don't get another 2013 situation because if we remember the tires at Silverstone, they're just – catastrophic and so they reverted back to 2012 tires and then red bull and vettel just ran away with the season so hopefully don't get a situation like that where them switching tires aids one team over another and causes a runaway championship yeah i agree on your second point and i agree on your first point i think it's total bs i feel like they came to that conclusion a little too fast for my comfort to actually put any weight into it and if you looked at the kind of tire debris as much as you could on a TV view, it didn't look like there was, it looked like the outer arcus of the tire pretty much blew off the rest of the tire, which isn't really a debris thing in my opinion. So definitely not very good there, but you kind of mentioned Perez was right there all weekend and, and I'll kind of piggyback off that. He was Pretty good in qualifying. Didn't have the best qualifying, but right from the start of the race, he gained two or three spots and, and worked his way up throughout the entire race. And it would have been Red Bull 1-2 if Max didn't crash. But was this Perez's best Red Bull weekend so far? So let's pretend he finished P2. Would it still have been his best Red Bull weekend so far? Yes, I think it to to the others in the paddock and whatnot in the field, I think it would have been his way of showing that he can do it, that he's not just there to be a number two. And that I think 
still need a little bit of work in qualifying maybe, but he recovered really well in the race. So I, and not only him, you know, we talked, we talked before the season about the five race kind of rule with new drivers. You look at Perez, he won. You look at Vettel, you finished second. Got some good circumstances to fall his way, but he still was there pretty much most of the day in the top five. You got Signs who finished second last week and was running well prior to him missing the castle turn. So obviously that was unfortunate, but, you know, he still showed pace all weekend. So kind of the only one that's not fitting in that mold of, well, well, we just give him five or six races and they'll be fine is Ricardo. Um, he's uh, still struggling a little bit compared to Lando. So, but yeah, I think Perez, I think we may start seeing an upward trajectory if he can just nail some of these qualifying sessions. Yeah. And I wonder if who crashed at the end of Q3? Uh, Sonoda. Sonoda and, and, and signs. Yeah. If that didn't happen, could Perez have put in one last flying lap? I don't remember where he was on track, but anyway, something to consider. Yeah. And the qualifying rule still needs a look, I think for yes. next year, because uh, we, we saw it again. I think maybe just a street course. I mean, obviously it can happen anywhere, but specifically in the street courses when drivers don't have eight miles of tarmac runoff, you're going to see more crashes and things like that. So while we're on the subject of qualifying, so I think Ferrari kind of shocked a bunch of people again, and Leclerc got back-to-back poles, which, you know, you look at his quotes coming into the race, they were not expecting that at all. And I know there was more, you know, cautions and red flags and whatnot that impacted qualifying, but... Were you once again surprised by Ferrari's qualifying pace, but then also Leclerc's lack of race pace? He kind of seemed to fade pretty quick. I was surprised they how well they qualified because unlike Monaco, there's a lot of long straight there and the Ferrari maybe doesn't have the power of some of the other engines. But I think Leclerc said after qualifying, I don't know if we can match these guys in race pace. I don't know if it was him or Signs, but one of them specifically mentioned it somewhere that i read either after qualifying or maybe before i think it was after qualifying so i wasn't as surprised i know that he got the pole but i was not expecting him to win the race and i know he kind of had to do some work to recover to finish before but i'm not super surprised he kind of sunk a little bit once the race got going yeah i didn't know what to expect i mean i kind of assumed red bull would be faster and they were so but it is nice to see ferrari up there and kind of contending especially since we just assumed they're just going to take the year off and i don't know if they're still developing the car or not but the fact is that they're still hanging in there with uh, mclaren which i really didn't expect so that's that's uh, as a whole really positive so wanted to get your reaction so when verstappen spun in the straightaway i don't know about you but i was like what in the heck just happened because you think it was like kind of by start finish, which is way down the straight. So what was your kind of like instant Mike Jokum reaction to the, the spin that happened there? Oh, man. So I was watching the race with my dad and we were both like we both looked at each other like, are we watching this in real time or are we watching like a replay of something that happened previously, like in past years? Because it it didn't feel real. I don't know why, but it was like maybe because the commentators were slightly delayed. Like TV went to it before the commentators did, and you were like, "Oh my God, what's going on? Holy, holy expletive! It's oh my God, that's who is that? 
oh my god, it's first happen. And like it took it takes you like ten seconds to like fully process that the race leader has just crashed into the wall. And at the time, like we didn't know what the driver error or was it tire error for that split second before we heard heard the radio. But yeah, I mean it was wild. It was so unexpected because the race had really settled down at that point and you, you pretty much kind of thought you would guys would finish where they where they were Verstappen was what seconds ish ahead of of Perez and Hamilton was back in third but not really challenging Perez too much there who by the way was also dealing with a hydraulic issue which was not talked about until well after the race ended so yeah man it was it was wild I don't even know what the right word is it was totally caught me off guard yeah it was uh crazy i was watching in chicago and i remember just going like oh man like that sucks for max like that's such a uh impactful moment on the championship so then we get to the standing restart and lewis's getaway was really good and was gonna easily beat Checo to the apex of the first corner but he missed his braking zone or the brakes locked up a lot or insert car's fault here and ultimately really saved max verstappen because then max verstappen's tire failure was kind of a moot point i mean sure it would have been nice to win and get eight or nine points on hamilton but at least he didn't lose any points this time so i think that was ultimately what saved him but so you mentioned verstappen not losing points which i i guess you know is a good thing but who do you think feels more relieved the fact that Verstappen still has a four point lead and Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton in knowing that he's not down by 17 points and he's still in this battle. I was going to say Max, because I think Max has nothing to feel ashamed of and nothing to feel bad about. It was a tire failure versus Lewis is like, wow, I must've really thrown some points away there. And, I could have capitalized on it or, you know, whatever. So, you know, whoever I think out of those two leaving the track, I think Max is the one to be the one who's going like, whew, you know, I got away with that one. Yeah, Lewis could have left with a 20-point advantage roughly, which could have put a huge damper on Max's championship efforts for the rest of the year. Now it's back to Max being up four and and – can go back and forth pretty much weekend and and week out at this point. Yeah, and so to, on that point with the Hamilton, you know, missing the first corner there. What did you make of the whole standing restart thing? I am trying to remember we had a red flag at some point this year, and I thought they were going to do a standing restart, but they opted not to. I think it was was it Imola, Russell, and Botas maybe. I can't remember. I felt like we've had a red flag this year already. Maybe not. But I think. So to answer your, your question quickly, so we had the Monza red flag last year, which was a standing start. Then we had a red flag later in the year last year, which was not a standing start, which I think you might be the one you're referring to. I don't know if we had one this year, but continue. But yeah, and I just, you know, the, the letter of the law states it's up to race control. And so, you know, with two laps to go, or, you know, by the time they did all the yellow flag laps and whatnot, there was going to be two laps to go when they started. So do you think 
Formula One is Americanizing itself a little bit with these manufactured races. Well, not even like a quote unquote a man- manufactured race, or do you think, you, you, do you not have a problem with it at all? I don't have a problem with it. This isn't a green, white, checkered NASCAR thing. There's no stages. There were multiple teams that radioed into race control. Obviously, we heard Christian Horner radio into race control and say, hey, we had no knowledge that this tire was going to go down. Uh, Can you please red flag it so teams are able to change tires to be safe? So from the team perspective, uh, I know multiple teams called in to race control. I've seen that on a number of places, including on the BBC recap that I listened to. So I don't have an issue with it. I think, and I think a few drivers said this afterwards, whatever they decide on to just be consistent. You know, if, if it's going to be a standing restart after a red flag, you know, with less than 10 laps to go because of a safety issue, fine. So be it as long as they're consistent time in and time. out. I think that's to me, the biggest thing is, and also that will quiet the, Oh, we're manufacturing this critics. Oh, this is just like NASCAR and green, white checkers. No, there was two laps to go, not one. So it was a green, white, white checkered. So I, I'm cool with it. I am too. I think it, it definitely makes it fun. It might make the results a little unfortunate for some, like, you know, that obviously Lewis will finish second at the very least, I think had there not been that restart, but at the same time, you know, as a driver, you got to be ready for any scenario that they throw at you, and you have to be the one to capitalize on something like uh, Alonzo. I think he went from, what, ninth or eighth to sixth at the end. So, you know, there's drivers who capitalized on it and some who kind of squandered their chance. So I had two more topics, if you didn't mind. So the first one was a weird one I saw today. Michael Massey came out and basically was defending the fact that people are criticizing Baku's pit entry as unsafe. I uh, don't. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, if, if we're pointing fingers, we can point at the whole of Baku as being a pretty unsafe track, in my opinion. It's all dangerous. It's a, it's a, to me, it's a dangerous track. So I I would kind of love to know what specifically about pit lane drew the ire of some. It doesn't sound like they're going to make any changes to it, and I don't I don't foresee the reason to do that. I I mean, it is kind of a weird entry, but. It's nothing a Formula One driver shouldn't be able to handle. So I, I don't know if you had any comments on that. No, I, I mean, honestly, it's a longer pit entry than some, which gives you time to slow down and, and figure things out. So I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> and then the other one I wanted to get your thoughts on was uh, the finish between the Haas drivers. Uh, Mazepin got in front of Mick somehow even though Madison was nowhere all day. And then coming to the finish, like the actual finish of the race, Schumacher had a good run. He was going to pull the outside, and then Madison kind of jolted his car into his path at the last second, but they still got through one piece, no collision, but they were approaching like peak top speed when that move was made. So it really drew the ire of Mick on the radio as he crossed the line, which is not very Mick-like. You know, Mick's pretty – pretty chill most of the time, but he was very pissed. And then even got to the point where he started laughing. Um, so what did you make of all that? Yeah. So Mazpin ended up being there because of the silly red flag rule where he essentially got his lap back. 
it's the one part of the red flag rule that really needs to be looked at. But anyway, I don't know why. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why they were, they were battling like that from, from either driver's perspective because they were finishing. Like, what difference does it make if, if Mick finishes thirteenth or fourteenth and Mazepin finishes thirteenth or fourteenth? But at the same time. Mick is a race car driver. He wants to finish ahead of anybody, especially his teammates. So he's charging hard. He's got the line. There's absolutely no need at peak top speed for Mazepin to make a move like that. Just, again, goes to show that the kid clearly has not learned anything. I don't know if he's going to get any penalty from this. I haven't seen anything, and it's now almost 72 hours since the race has ended when we're recording this. So I doubt he will, but man, that, that if, if, if his dad wasn't footing probably a large majority of the bill, I'm sure the team owner would be angrier, but I mean, that to me is more dangerous than anything he's done on track this year in F1. Yeah. He's a, it's an interesting one, that guy. And yeah, I thought it was dangerous. And then just seeing like Mick on the radio, like the first like 20 seconds is his unfiltered thoughts of like, is he trying to get us killed? And then, you know, the engineer saying like, yeah, we noted it. We noted it. You're all good. And then you kind of, I think Mick kind of realized like, well, yeah, I mean, daddy's footing the bill here. So I guess I have to kind of sort of somewhat watch what I say because I don't want to get fired because daddy Mazepin hates me. But at the same time, like, Oh, it has to be frustrating. It's got to be awkward for him because he – I'm assuming he and Nikita probably aren't really that close outside of the media availabilities. Yeah. So it's probably awkward for him because he probably knows the realities of what's going on. And Yeah. Anyways, do you have anything else you want to uh, – you want to recap before you're flogging here on the predictions? Oh, boy. Before we get there and everybody who listens to our IndyCar episode – Next day, we'll hear this a second time. But so I'm in the Motor Mouth podcast, which talks about all forms of motorsports and kind of automotive stuff in general. I actually had Connor Daly on a couple months ago. I'm in their F1 Fantasy League, and I just want to defend myself before I get publicly destroyed here, and deservedly so. There's about five or 600 people in this fantasy league, and I am first overall. And I shared the proof with Matt that I am actually first overall. So I don't know why, but I this this is definitely out of this might be one of my worst predictions overall, like of all time since we started recording ever. So just a and arguably one of my best. Yes, easily one of your best. And for predictions, I'm just going to sit back and let you make fun of me for as long as you want. You do say whatever you want, and I'm just going to sit back and not say anything. Okay. Well, I guess if you're giving me the platform, I will say that everybody listed here, all of these drivers here, are significantly younger than you. That includes Alonzo. I see Alonzo in there. He's kind of old. Yeah, that's mean. Hey, you said I got whatever. I can say whatever I want, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you know Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy? Yeah, and Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. Anyways, so as far as good predictions, uh, it says that you had Ricardo at P9. That's, uh, I wouldn't say that was very good. I had Sergio Perez. What did, um, hmm. 
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Okay. Uh, your bad prediction. You had Fernando Alonso, which was P6. I know you can't count that high. And then I had Valtteri Bottas. Uh, sorry. So just to recap there. So I picked a Mercedes driver who did not have any sort of mechanical failure, damage. You know, nothing obscure happened. He just had a bad day. So I predicted the Mercedes driver would have a bad day and they finished P12. Just to throw that out there. Um, I know that you are probably very sad about that because you and Valtteri are best friends. Totally um, besties. Yes. Uh, my dark horse top 10 was Fernando Alonso. So thank you, Fred. P6. That was really good. Uh, nailed that one. You had Lance Stroll. Yikes. Sorry, Lance. My bad. <laughs> Lance's whole weekend can be blamed on you. Uh, and then we both got the Q on elimination wrong. Uh, it was both Haas's Stroll, Geo, and Latifi, I think. Uh, I predicted Alonso and you predicted Sonoda who both happened to make Q3, so we really, really missed that one. All right, well, I could have been a lot unfairer to you there. I did. Yeah. What, what I, I made fun of your counting abilities, your age, and your friendship of Botas. I feel sad and alone. And Okay, you don't, have to be that, you don't have to be that deep. <laughs> makes me feel bad. <laughs> All right, well, do you want to talk about Horner and Wolf, speaking of two people not getting along? Yeah, what do you uh, what do you make of this? Feel feels like more than, you know, a, a gentle ribbing, which they seem to have given each other over the last couple of years. This is actually, I don't want to say bringing up more of a rivalry, but it's certainly very interesting. has a weird feel to it. You know, they have the drive to survive feel to it where they say something, but then they have, like, the scene of them, like, How's your weekend? You know, how's the family? Things like that. Right. To recap it for those at home, 
it is, it is starting to escalate. And I think it's, it's really captivating because I think it kind of encompasses this rivalry we have this year with Red Bull and Mercedes and how intense it is for both teams. Basically, Wolf was getting critical of Horner and him bragging about how good they are and how their wings are perfect and, you know, there's not going to be any sort of flexi-wing nonsense with the team. Wolf then called Horner a windbag, which is a word I need to work into my vocabulary more often. Yes, and then he needs to be more he needs to be more modest. And then Horner came back immediately and said, if I was Toto with that front wing that he's got in his car, I'd keep my mouth shut. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's getting spicy. Uh, yeah, because, you know, that's often what happens in Formula 1 is when you point a finger, that finger often gets pointed back right at you. If you say they have them on their car illegal, I guarantee Red Bull's going to go searching and find something illegal with your car. And then after the race – Toto was very critical of the team saying, you know, well, some along the lines of, you know, it doesn't matter if it was Lewis, engineering, mechanics, et cetera. You know, our performance this weekend was unacceptable and we need to be in better form going forward. And publicly speaking, Horner was questioning Wolf's tactics and asking kind of out loud if Wolf should be ribbing his team like that in the public eye instead of maybe handling it behind the scenes. So out of everything there, you pick something and just run with it. I want to use the word windbag more. We should bring that, we should bring back like use windbag or some random word in an episode like we used to a while back. Oh, that was a lot yeah, that was way, that was like peak me when I started yeah. here. So, I mean, I don't have an issue with Total Wolf publicly roasting his team. Everybody has a different management style. Toto is a bit more brash and loud, and, and that's fine. I, I don't care. Horner wants to keep it behind closed doors. I also don't care about that. So I don't really see an issue there, but Toto calling or you know, being the, the windbag and then, hey, if I was Toto, look at the front wing on his car. I'd keep my mouth shut. That to me is the interesting part in this because so, you know, Mercedes says, Ooh, rebels, rear wing, flexi wing, major issues. And Christian Horner's going, have you seen that damn Mercedes front wing? It does the same thing. So now we've got some substance to this back and forth and a uh, Christian Horner's a, you know, a windbag. Total Wolf is a, I don't know, robot demon. And I am very curious and, and Horner saying, listen, I, I look at that front wing too is, is to me the most interesting part. And I can't wait to see how this all plays out over the next handful of weeks and months. Yeah, I agree. And it kind of ex expanding on what you said, how long has Red Bull been sitting on this whole, you know, if, Mercedes starts throwing stones from their glass house. We can just chuck one right back with, oh, you're investigating our front wing. Well, you might want to take a look at their front wing. So I thought that was interesting. I'm also looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with some of the images they got from this weekend and if there's going to be any uh, penalties or whatnot coming from the film they gathered at Baku for the flexi wings and whatnot. All right. Do you want to talk about your, your buddy Valtteri Botas? 
Yeah, what what a weekend for Valtteri. I mean, honestly, from start to finish, really showed us what he's all, what he's all about this weekend. I saw you mention the like, oh, he needs to change his screensaver now, which was really funny. But so he he pretty much said before the race he's not going to take the loser's option after you know a a couple kind of rough weekend weekends in, in a row he was going to come in with a a you know mentally tough attitude mercedes did not have good practice sessions and and obviously it wasn't that big of a deal because lewis hamilton figured it out botas finished 10th or sorry qualified 10th and he was kind of stuck there all race almost like he was too afraid to really do anything and then what really shocked me was when you so you didn't see it live at first i think when on the restart when botas dropped from ninth or 10th down to I, 12 13th or 14th before he before he recovered and got by the Haas guys i guess i don't know exactly what happened but you saw his onboard and it was like he was tiptoeing around on that lap after or on the first lap after the restart. And I know Mercedes is having a little trouble getting the tires up to temps, but you got to go, man. You're in, you're in a point spot. You, you gotta, you gotta get your ass moving. And instead he's tiptoeing around like he doesn't want to damage the car. And I think that, I think two things. I think that is just Botas. He's never really been one to take too many risks. And two, I think that just goes to show that he has absolutely no confidence right now. What he he can say, you know, screw you, critics, and we have great team spirit, and we'll stick together, and blah blah blah. But when he gets in the car and it's just him, his mind, he he is not there. Yep. It's, I feel like it's becoming like a weekly topic we talk about, but um, something's not working. And I guess we'll segue. I want to segue into our next topic here, which is that George Russell wants his future decided by the summer break. So that is, I think, between Hungary and Spa. Yeah. And so the summer break ends on August 27th. So basically, Russell wants his future decided by then. If it's going to be Williams or Mercedes, it seems like one of those two is, uh, is basically what he's got as far as options. So is the case starting to mount that Botas needs to find a new seat next year? Yes. And then is the natural next step to be Russell? Yes. I, I don't see it going any other way unless somebody comes with crazy amounts of money, but I don't think, I don't think it's going to go any other way. So not Ocon and I'm not trying to poke your button. That was an actual question. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. No, I, I don't think it will be Ocon and with all due respect, he's put in a couple solid weekends in a row. Now I'm not saying I've completely to change my tune on him but he's he's showing what he's capable of in a difficult alpine car yeah i i would agree i think you know russell is a more natural fit and i hope he gets the the nod because that would be so epic for so many reasons so it's cool that they're there that he's it's actively in his mind he really wants to kind of wrap it up and 
And, you know, I think Lewis is saying some same situation. He wants his contract figured out sooner rather than later. So we will see. We'll keep our eyes on that, though, for you. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on – I know we're, we're a little bit before the summer break, but kind of, you know, based on, on George's thoughts there, if you were Mercedes, would you tell George to listen – we're, we're waiting until the end of the year because if we don't, Botas is going to have a meltdown and he's not going to get any points and we're going to lose the constructors. What, what's your, if you, if you were Mercedes, how would you, how would you handle it? I would say Valtteri, we're taking it a different direction next year. And if you want to, you know, be a part of something special here and, and finish your career on a high, you better start getting some points. Otherwise we'll just pull the trigger now and we'll send you straight to Williams. That's what I would do. I mean, if, if your plan is to switch next year anyways, I wouldn't let the guy who – I wouldn't let the disgruntled employee on his way out ruin what you guys have been working all year for. And if he doesn't turn around soon anyways, I mean, his the, the ice is melting below him. So, yeah, I wouldn't let him ruin anything if, if I was Total Wolf. Yeah, fair enough there. I think we only have one more topic, and I know – that I wanted to get to and one more thing you wanted to get to. Would you like to go first? Yeah. I mean, I had a super duper secret host question for you. We haven't done one in a while. Um, Mercedes apparently has this thing on the back of the steering wheel called the magic button. (laughs) People are speculating as to the powers of said magic button. And it's uh, leading to quite some funny memes online, but I wanted to know, Mike, if you were a team owner and you could put a magic button in your car that could do anything within reason, doesn't even have to be racing related, what would your magic button do? My magic button would print stacks of money so I can do it out so I can do more racing. Well, it's good that's that's within reason because I'm pretty sure Lance Stroll has one of those in his car already. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what my magic button do. I think if it, if I clicked my magic button, I would in my next pit stop, I would want like my Texas Roadhouse meal just waiting for me there, with like a spot. Yeah, you, cow. Could, you could go the food or 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 drink route. That's that's also uh, completely acceptable. I was gonna go something crazy like six hundred extra horsepower for a lap, but I, I think <laughs> I think money is more fun right now. Yeah. And more unrealistic. So, yeah, the magic button thing is super interesting because I'd never heard before, but it, it helps Mercedes warm up those front tires by shutting off the rear brakes. So, I mean, pretty cool technology, if you ask me. I love learning about new automotive technology, but yeah, very, very interesting. Our last segment before we round it out. And there is no F1 this week, but guys, there's an in-car doubleheader in Detroit on NBC both days. So tune in Saturday and Sunday. A little bit of, you know, continuing on the Mercedes-Red Bull rivalry theme from tonight. Max Verstappen claims that if he were in the same car as Lewis Hamilton, he would be two-tenths quicker than Lewis. So, Matt? Thoughts? What do you think? Agree? Disagree? Do you like what Max is saying here? I think it's funny. And I appreciate that he has the confidence to say that. You know, I think Lewis is really fast, obviously, and, and knows what he's doing. If if Max had to jump into Mercedes, it would take a little bit of an adjustment, but I do think he could every bit hang with Lewis Hamilton because I do think Verstappen is 
the second best driver on the grid behind Leclerc. So I just think it's funny, you know, it's again, like you said, it's just this rivalry that just keeps going and going and going. And, you know, honestly, straight up equal equipment, I would take Max for sure. I agree. I this Mac, Max is a little bit of a savage off the track and on the track. He's willing to make the move when he needs to. And I listen, I think it's kind of funny too. I, I appreciate any sort of little vocal rivalry that we can go in. Cause it, it makes everything a little bit more interesting and well, it gives us more to talk about. So I, I, I think especially as Max matures and matures on the track, I think he will get even better. And it's crazy to think about this is his fifth year in F1, sixth year, fifth, fifth or sixth year in F1. And he's 23 years old. So yeah, he's got a he's got a long career ahead of him for sure. So we'll wrap it up there, guys. Thank you again for listening this week. We both appreciate it. Next week we'll be back to preview France, and don't worry, the live show will be back before in the morning before France with the eight a.m. Baku start. It was I kind of sort of forgot what 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 time the race started until it was a little too late to do that. So we'll be back with that. Everybody have a lovely weekend of racing. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!